The following message was given by Brian Davis at the 2018 Worship God Conference held in Frisco, Texas. Um, if you have a Bible, go and open up to 1 Corinthians. I, I would give a bunch of thanks, but I, I only have a little bit of time and a very long message. So I'm going to try to you know, sacrifice the greetings and jump right into the word. Um, so if you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is in fact the best part of my sermon. This is God's word. Before I read it, let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word because your word always gives us what we need. We don't always know what we need, but your word always has what we need. So we ask that you would use your word. You sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'll be reading from verse 18 to the end of the chapter. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And this is God's word. Uh, Worship gatherings are times when the people of God gather to celebrate the Son of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, governed by the Word of God, to proclaim the excellencies of God. Uh, We huddle up to celebrate Him, uh, to brag on Him, to boast about Him. And God has a thing about boasting. Uh, If you're familiar with the Bible, He doesn't like people boasting not in Him. Because, as the psalm was read earlier, there is a glory that is owed to him. It's due him. 
So to ascribe glory to something not where you owed and you still owe, you got a debt. And God deserves, God requires, God demands glory to go to him. It, it fits there. It's appropriate there. Boasting should be in the Lord. He says in Jeremiah 9, that says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. You know the stuff people like to boast about. Nobody cares where you went to school. Nobody cares how much you can lift. Nobody cares how much money you got. Let him who boasts, let him who glories, let him who gets hype about something, let him boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. He says, for in these things I delight. Boasting is to brag, it's to rejoice in, it's to exult in and express gladness over. It's uh, the proclaimed place of our glory. You come to Philly, people like to boast about cheesesteaks. People like to boast about the Eagles, especially now that they won. We like to boast. We're boasters. God made us to be boasters, but he made us to be boasters in him. And it's, it's important we understand that that's, it, we're not malfunctioning when we boast. We're only malfunctioning when we boast in things, not God. Even in our text, we see that word at the end of the text, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So we see that that gives a significance and, and floods our, our passage with a kind of context. These are the things of boasting. Uh, the Corinthian dilemma, if you recall, is that they had some division issues, not too different from our day, over perceived significances, not too different from our day. But really at the heart was a total confusion regarding the source of their gladness, their rejoicing, what deserved their boasting, their glory. And that's supposed to be in the Lord. Uh, what I'm aiming for this morning is to strengthen our resolves to be totally committed to the gospel of Christ, even though it is regarded as foolishness by the world, because the folly of the cross entirely eliminates human boasting and produces the exclusive exaltation of Christ as our only boast. That is my agenda. I have two points to try to do this agenda. This is for Bob. I usually don't do points. Uh, and last time he said, just do points. Um, so here's two points. First point, an extraordinary rejection. The letter here, at least the section we're looking at, talks about the word of the cross, which is the gospel, the good news, the best news, no news like this news, right? Uh, for the saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance, full acceptance by every soul who's ever lived, who ever will, in any place that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Gospel, baby. First uh, Corinthians 15 later, uh, he says, yo, I delivered to you that issue of first importance, that message of central significance that according to the scriptures, the Lord Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Gospel, baby. Uh, the Lord Jesus, as he's walking around and he sees people burdened with sin, and the ones who are 
are burdened with sin, he says, I didn't come for you. As our sister's saying, I didn't come for the, right, the righteous, Jesus says. You think you're well? I'm here for them who know they're not well. Come to me, all who labor, who are heavy laden, who are weighed down with your sin. I got something for you that you can't produce in yourself, that you can't buy with your money, that you can't earn by your merit. I have rest for your soul. Come to me and rest eternally. Gospel, baby. Now, who would hear that and go, that's whack? <laughs> Most everybody. We're talking about an extraordinary message, but what's surprising is the extraordinary rejection. That the word of the cross is folly to some. Everything ain't gospel. Everybody talking about that's gospel. <laughs> I just said that's gospel. I was actually talking about the gospel. Uh, everything's not gospel. So just because it sounds gospel-y doesn't mean it's the gospel. The gospel <laughs> has a message. People say stuff's gospel that doesn't contain the gospel. But the gospel is a message. It's a word about something. It's the word of God's deliverance for people that cannot deliver themselves because he loves them. Uh, Starting last night, and if I was in Philadelphia, me and my friend Ant here would have been at a movie theater at about 10 p.m. watching Mission Impossible because that's what we do. Uh, people are going to be huddled up in theaters because they like to see Tom do it again. Uh, Get in some crazy, ridiculous situation that he could have probably made simpler, but gets in this crazy, complicated situation and pull off a mission. A mission that's impossible. That mission doesn't rival Christ's mission. How do you save humanity who hates God, who's stained with sin, who's chosen to link up with the devil in bondage? They got no hope. They got no power. They got no appeal. Uh-oh, look up to the highest height. The Lord Jesus comes aside from glory, nose dives down into the world, says, I'm going to become like y'all, but I'm not becoming like y'all to be y'all, but to represent y'all to my Father because you have no hope. The Lord Jesus lives a life that's always right in God's sight. If you've ever tried to be perfect for a day, you know how impossible that is. Jesus lived perfect always. He always did what was right in God's sight. He heads straight to the cross. The Bible says that joy set before him through the cross helped him to uh, endure the shame, despise the shame, head to the cross, pay for sins, bore our sin in his body on the cross. You see the cross, you see the Son of God who's never sinned, bearing the weight of sin from the world, hearing what you never thought you'd ever hear, which is the Son of God ask his Father why he's forsaken. And what's happening is this tremendous exchange where God is demonstrating his love for sinners in sending someone they could never expect. They would never deserve they would never merit the Lord Jesus Christ himself to pay for their sins for them to die for them to be punished for them and then raise him to life so that they can live with him forever uh, Tom Cruise ain't got nothing on that we're talking the message concerning Jesus Christ and him crucified that the Son of God would die for sinners. It's the message of the great deliverance, the great exchange, the revealing of the righteousness of God. And yet, as glorious as this message is, I remember we got a sister named Jamika at our church. 
She got saved while she was homeless in Chicago. Gospel comes to her, scoops her up, and she's like, man, everybody needs to hear this. Who wouldn't want to get in on this? But what she found is what Paul found, which has been true throughout history, and that's that the word comes and isn't received. It's appraised as garbage to many, as foolish. I mean, this is a huge problem with the whole seeker-sensitive stuff. Don't mean to step on anybody's toes, but I do a little bit. You got a couple categories of people in the Bible, those that are perishing in rejection and those who are being saved because they receive it. There's those that the gospel is a stench to their nostrils. It's an offense to their pride. And there's those that it's the aroma of life. There is not a middle category that is a scent that is ambiguous. Something's happening and I don't know what it is. Why it's important to understand that is because you can't warm up dead hearts by your efforts. We can't soften stone souls by our stuff. Just because you have dope lights and a fog machine, that does not produce miraculous fruit in a sinner's soul. If the parting of the Red Sea, if the provision of manna from heaven, if the flowing, sparkling water from the rocks didn't melt a sinner's heart then, if, if years, decades of captivity didn't soften a sinner's heart then, then certainly cool music and cool graphics will not have an effect on it either. What's needed to benefit the souls of men is nothing less than the very power of God the very wisdom of God contained in the only gospel of God. But this text tells us that the gospel isn't evaluated as glorious by everyone. And Paul tells us that this rejection isn't a sound calculation. It's only the appraisal of the perishing. So how we categorize the gospel actually categorizes us. Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Paul says, the fool says out loud, there is no gospel. And it's not hard to see why it's foolish, right? Rather than lift up a, lifting up their miserable souls to inestimable delight, it actually trips them up and causes them to stumble over it. I tell this story often in my church. I lived in Detroit, and I remember a homeless man came to me and my daddy. He said, I'm hungry. He said, okay, word. There was a banana in the car. Say, yo, I got a banana here. And the homeless dude said, Psh, I don't want a banana. I want to go to McDonald's. It's like, but are you hungry or not? Well, this is what sinful souls do. Uh, and this is what they're doing here. Man, we want some signs and some wisdom. Ah, I got salvation for you. We don't want that. We want something more impressive. It's a stumbling block because it opposes people in their sin. It demolishes all their pride. You, you don't get through the door of salvation unless you stoop down to where you're empty. The gospel is designed to empty everybody of all of their pride. It's like the bully on the block who comes up and says, I want everything you got. And the bully does it to hurt you. God does it to help you. 
it totally undermines prideful perspectives. And it's God's MO, right? For it is written, I will destroy it. Part of God's agenda is to destroy, to undermine the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning being thwarted. It's God's MO, his method of operation. There's a Latin version of that phrase that I don't know. But it's to bring, it's to, look, look, it, God effort is to bring us to a hearty and desperate acknowledgement that we're entirely wrong about everything. God topples the wisdom of men who exalt themselves above the Lord. The Bible is filled with story after story of people who try to get with God in the ring and everybody gets laid out. You got idols falling over, arms getting cut off, they stand it back up, it falls back over again. You got Elijah, call to him, I'll wait. Maybe he's using the bathroom. I'll wait. Douse mine in water. Douse it again. Douse it again. Let's see what's real. God opposes the proud. When they sought to build a name for themselves in Babel, God came down and destroyed their wisdom. It's what he does. Because in man's wisdom, they set themselves up against God. It's not simply enough to say that we know very little. We must say we know nothing. A message is needed from out of the world. Because there's no message in the world that can help. Verse 20 through 21, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? If what's needed is a way to get to God, a way to get right with God, okay, what y'all got? What does the world have to offer? How do you get from fallen man to holy God? How do you close that gap? How do you mend the brokenness that you know you experience? How do you feel, they used to say, the God-sized hole in your heart? Who got the answer? Line them up. The way of salvation is in from out of the world because there's not a way of salvation in the world. The world, the best they can say is what? Follow your heart. But that's against the Bible because your heart's desperately wicked. It's deceitful. It's precisely because we're wicked that even when they say, well, look to nature, wrong again. Because even though what can be known about God is plain because God has shown it. We have this thing where we suppress truth in our unrighteousness. Where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Hasn't God shown you that that's empty? For thousands of years, there's no solution, no guaranteed solution to how man can be reconciled to God, except one. Paul asks, how do we know God? How can we get right with God? How can we be reconciled to God? And it's almost like you can hear the echoes of Elijah in him. He's kind of taunting the world to offer their answer. Come on, academies and universities. Come on, inventors and instructors. How can the minds of NASA figure out how to get to the moon, but you can't figure out how to get to God? The world has nothing to offer. Because in God's wisdom, the world doesn't know God through its wisdom. 
This is why there's a bad way to do apologetics. You don't get to God by the wisdom of man. When it comes to knowing God, the professor's got no answer for the soul dilemma. When it comes to knowing God, politicians, rulers, presidents, they have established societies, domains, and civilization, and each evidence, no answer. Sigmund Freud, no answer. Steve Jobs, no answer. Barack Obama, no answer. Donald Trump, no answer. Jerry Springer had no answer. Some of y'all are old enough to remember Jerry Springer. And what would he do? Showcase problems and try to summarize it later with no answer. Maury Povich, no answer. Steve Harvey, no answer. Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil, Dr. Doolittle, all got no answer. Elon Musk got no answer. You can compile all the wisdom the world has to offer. You can combine the most brilliant thinkers and minds the world has to offer. You could coalesce all the best libraries of philosophy and brain power. You could build a tower of it. And guess what? Nothing. God comes down and topples the tower. As verse 19 says, he destroys it. No wisdom that could profit a soul one second in eternity is found in anything in the world. The foolishness of the fool is that they trust the wisdom of the world and it simply cannot do anything eternally significant for them at all. But the church is not like the world. We have an extraordinary message. Because look what the world cannot do, God can do, and did do, and we have. That's what the gospel is. Verse 21, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save. To save those who believe. The, the context of the Corinthian letter is that they forgot what was, extra, what was truly extraordinary, right? Churches aren't filled with particularly extraordinary people. They are not led by particularly extraordinary teachers. What is extraordinary about every church is not how many people are in your church, isn't it how big your church is, it isn't where your church is. What is special, what is extraordinary about every church is they are stewards of an extraordinary message. Listen, churches are the only places on the planet where people can hear what they must do to be saved. Churches are the only hub that can do trips to heaven. This isn't a message from a coalition of sinners. This is a message from the mind of God. It's what set Jesus apart as the unique communicator. You remember in John 13, Jesus said in John 3, Nicodemus was rocked by the insight he's sharing about born again. And he says, well, you, you rocked off this? What did he say, though? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. I know how to get you there. I came from there. People over here guessing. Nobody wants a doctor guessing. I don't know what this is, but let's try it. <laughs> nah, bruh. You don't like your mechanic guessing. I think that looks right. Some of us are a little bit more vain with a little bit more hair, and you don't let your barber or salon stylist guess. 
How is it that people are comfortable guessing about the most important and significant issue of their soul? You don't have to guess. There's someone from there. You remember the, the boys trapped in a cave. They could have just jumped in and hoped they made it. But what gave them confidence a rescue could occur is when someone showed up from without. And I'll bring you with me. Jesus says, yo, I'm from without and I'll bring you with me. No one knows the way to him but me. For salvation from God to happen, a message from God is needed. And by God's grace, a message from God has been provided. And notice it didn't give them what they want, but rather what they actually truly needed. This is why we should not shape our services based on sinners. Because our joy ebbs and flows. Our precision at best is close. Our appetites change. And in our worst state, we actually have no appetite for God. You ever heard a preacher preach long? This is a little prep for conviction if I go a little bit too late. You ever heard a preacher preach long and you start getting irritated that the guy's preaching the Bible to you for over five minutes more than you planned on him? Guess where that's not coming from? Guarantee the Holy Spirit is not like, man, this brother needs to shut up talking about Jesus. <laughs> now, again, if he's not speaking true things, the Holy Spirit is saying he needs to shut up talking about Jesus. Or when, maybe when someone's praying and you're like, whew, okay, you're you hitting all the bases. <laughs> and I heard from many words, remember, on the last day, you won't regret any of that. Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But we don't care. <laughs> but we preach Christ crucified, knowing it's not what they want. Knowing it's a stumbling block. Knowing it's folly to them. Church plant strategies are all about how to get fleshly appetites interested in a supernatural work. That's a waste of time. Because God forbid you build your church on people who hate God. Let them come for the gospel. Amen. Let them stay for the gospel. Amen. And he says, but to those who are called, something happens. Something happens. I bet you if we had time and we went around this room and we don't have time now, but we will in glory and just heard how God saved everybody, probably it was through very unimpressive circumstances, but how you met with the word and gospel of God. I got saved in a basement in Detroit with a Bible. To those who are called, they hear about the glorious Savior. They hear that they don't have to carry their sins anymore. They hear that there's a way to have rest. They hear that they can be saved from the consequence of their sin against the holy God. They hear that there's a way to never experience a second of hell. They hear that there's a way to not only know a broken father in the flesh, but to know a heavenly father forever. 
They hear that there's a way that one day they have a promise that all that they struggle with will be made new and they'll be in a glorious land where all will be new and with the glorious one forever. They hear of that. And you know what they hear? They don't hear foolishness. They don't trip over it. They hear power. They come alive. They hear wisdom. They hear wisdom. Yo, there's a way to him that's true, and I hear it. Jews demand some great display of strength through signs, not because they long for salvation, but because they wanted to be fascinated. Greeks sought wisdom. Come on, give us something that sounds deep and, you know, impressive-like. He says, but we preach Christ crucified. Simple, simple enough for all the simple people to get it. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared, that according to God's word, the soul that sins shall die, and yet Christ died for us so that we wouldn't have to die. That Christ crucified is the only hope for humanity, the only answer for sin, the only way of salvation. That contrary to what the Jews thought, the, the greatest need wasn't just something else big to happen. Something else that, that satisfies a sinful eye. That contrary to the, what the Greeks thought, they were in need of the most culturally celebrated wisdom amongst sin, sinful minds. But according to God's word, what was needed most was power. They were right, they needed power. They were wrong about the kind. They were right, they needed wisdom, but they were wrong about the kind. What was needed was Christ who is power, wisdom. His message, one of power and wisdom. Every Sunday, people are filling up. Let me share why I went here. Some people think that just because people aren't getting saved in droves, their gospel's broken. So they try to change stuff. But I think it would do us well to remember that part of what the gospel does is harden. It makes the proud fall. It irritates people. That doesn't mean be a jerk, but it does mean that when you're preaching faithfully, some people will think you're a jerk. Just because you're there and you're faithful preaching the gospel does not mean the whole neighborhood's going to show up at your church. That's, that, that joint ain't in the Bible nowhere. They might, and we pray they do, but you might just be hated by a lot of people because you're telling them the truth about them. That as beautiful as this area is and as nice as it's being built up and as dope as all the cars are, they got a sin issue with God. According to God's word, what we need most is a lamb for our substitute. Every Sunday, people are filling churches looking for something, and oftentimes what they want isn't what they need. It's like the woman at the well, there for water. That's what she wanted, but what she needed was living water. 
The amazing thing is that churches have what everyone actually needs in the gospel. And devotion to the gospel is going to frustrate the ungodly. It is a stumbling block to them. It is foolish to them. People act like, man, I'm just going to put this gospel and then they're just going to come in droves and be drawn like magnets. The neighborhood's just going to pour in because what I'm teaching is actually biblical. I'm giving the biblical gospel. Praise God. Keep giving it. But what, what will be to some? A smell like you are a morgue? Somebody ever left their trash out near your house? That joint it, here, especially when it's hot and it starts, becomes like an oven of garbage. And you walk out your door and it slaps you in the morning. I see that hand. <laughs> he was just scratching his hair. He didn't raise Because while you're cooking up gospel, people are like, man, that stinks. What's going to happen is there's going to be a couple hungry cats that smell bread. They smell that bread of life. It may be silly and foolish, but those are only to the perishing, he says. But there's another category, those who are being saved. It's bread for the hungry. It's drink for the thirsty, it's riches for the poor and needy, it's clothing for the naked. What's extraordinary about our churches is this message we have, this gospel we have. And it affects everything we do, which is why it should be central in everything we do. Uh, What matters most is not somebody's ethnic identity or their political identity, but their humility before God. Recognizing that they are as wicked as God says they are. That God is as holy as he says he is. That hell is as certain as he's promised it to be and that salvation is truly possible in Christ. The foolishness of God, yeah, that's foolish. Paul's like, yeah, but his foolishness is wiser than your wisdom. All you got is a cross, man, that's weak. Yeah, but the weakness of God is stronger than your strength. Men who rely on their wisdom are shown to be exceedingly foolish, for they reject the only hope that the soul has. But men who acknowledge that sin proves to be the most foolish of all, that's who the godly are, they find out that sin is more foolish. They think, man, it's foolish to believe in a cross. I mean, it's foolish not to. When we're weak, we're strong. That's the orientation of the gospel life. The gospel is designed to humble men entirely in order to exalt them completely. Because it shows us our need, our inability, our weakness, and then shows us Jesus. When God calls us sinners, that shouldn't surprise us. For we are all sinners indeed. So tell people that they're sinners. When God calls us to repent, that shouldn't surprise us because we actively run away from a wonderfully good God. So tell people to repent. And when God calls us to place all our faith in Christ and be forgiven, that shouldn't surprise us either. For in that, God is actually calling us to cling to what's good. So invite them to receive the good portion in life. 
Jesus told us in Matthew eleven six, 6, what? Blessed is the one who's not offended by me, who doesn't stumble over me. That's your blessed life now. And churches, by that message, they identify the beloved. They identify the people of God, those unoffended by Christ. Those who have heard the word of the cross and perceive it to be a message of hope, worthy of their acceptance. Those who hear the preaching of Christ in him crucified and hear the song of their salvation and respond with joy in the Lord. Jesus, this is how you know you're looking at a Christian. They come up on Jesus and find he's worth everything they got. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field and a man runs up on it when it's covered up, when it seems unimpressive, just like a patch of dirt in the ground. But he finds there's treasure in it. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys it. All who know the gospel and know what the gospel is, know it's worth everything. And it identifies those as those being saved. But to us who are being saved, it's power. To those who are called, it's wisdom. Which brings us to our second point. I know, it's shorter, don't worry. You have an extraordinary rejection concerning an extraordinary message. And we must ask, why are we here believing? How does it happen then? It happens by an extraordinary election. One of the most encouraging things that happens to me on Sunday is the testimony of the Spirit of God in me crying out, I am saved. That happens to you, right? You're singing, Jesus paid it all. And you know all to him you owe. I am saved. I belong to him. He belongs to me. That when I'm being washed with the water of the word, when someone's kicking gospel to me, and I'm like, this is wonderful. And one of the best things that happens to anybody on Sunday is they come in and get reminded, you're saved. They won't get reminded if you don't tell them about the gospel. Because those who are being saved, they'll hear the hour, you're right. This gospel is not foolish to me. This message is not a stumbling block to me. I'm not ashamed of it. It's the power of God for salvation to me. This is wisdom for me. This is my all. And we have the opportunity to consume our church with power, to fill our church with wisdom. And we do this and we only do this when we choose to know nothing among ourselves except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. When we gather around the gospel, when we gather in the gospel, and when we gather because of the gospel. When we sing the gospel, what should we sing? Gospel songs. That's why we're here. Colossians 3, to sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Thankful over what? This is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Do you know the context of that? It's talking about the day of salvation. Colossians with thankful. Thankful about what, Paul? Have you mentioned thankfulness before? You have in chapter 1. Giving thanks to the Father 
who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I can be thankful today. How about the Lord's Supper? What's that about? The gospel. It's okay if you got a little gluten-free bread section and then a, you know, a wheat and a white bread section. Because what are we doing? We are proclaiming the gospel. When we proclaim his death until he returns, that he was broken for us. And in his blood, we have a new covenant. How about keeping the gospel central as a means for keeping the church unified? Brian, why do you say that? Thank you for asking, friend. It's interesting, in this letter, Paul happens to be responding to division. Why does he start talking about the gospel? When we choose to know nothing among each other except Jesus Christ and him crucified, it reminds the church that there's an issue of first importance that affects all other issues. And if we agree on that, it forms the basis for our agreement on everything. This is how he could say, have one mind and one judgment. Paul was replying to their disunity. The fact they had forgotten is the centrality of the gospel. That Apollos isn't special. Cephas isn't special. When we got a Jesus who's crucified for us. Every Sunday in a bunch of different ways, we're seeking to hit everybody up with the gospel in as many ways as possible. In that sense, our worship gatherings is like a, you know, a, a car wash. You've been to a car wash, you go there, you put the car in neutral, they go on the thing and it starts pushing your car through. And uh, first of all, this is, some of y'all probably use a bucket and that's okay. But I'm talking about the things you drive through. You go in and they douse your car with water. And then they hit it with the soap. Then the side scrubbies. <laughs> then you get through that and then a, a top scrubby comes down and goes over the car. Then the rinse comes, then the wax. Then the buffers come, then the drying, and then you leave. And I was like, that's like church. <laughs> that's what we're trying to do on Sunday with the gospel. Somebody trying to come in, and we're trying to pour that gospel water on them. We're trying to drench them with it. Then we're trying to scrub them in the gospel water. Then we're trying to blast them again through the Lord's Supper, <laughs> Right? Then we're washing them again in some songs. Then the sermon comes out and seeks to scrub the gospel in further. Then some of us got a song after the sermon just to buff. <laughs> and then somebody stands up and gives us that benediction dryer. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. We pray the gospel. We sing the gospel. We sing the gospel. We sing the gospel. We take the Lord's Supper and proclaim the gospel. We might do baptisms and show the gospel. We preach the gospel. We confess our belief in the gospel. We share the gospel. We remind each other of the gospel. What's up, man? You say, praise God. That's what we're doing on Sunday in a bunch of different ways. You say, me too, man. Keep going. But what we're doing is we're filling our meeting with power, with wisdom that they can't get outside. They can get in the word. They don't have a community that they can get it from. 
The power of God to save, the power of God to sanctify, the power of God to make wise, to make alive, to make free. Why so much gospel? Because for us who are being saved, what else are you going to do? Jesus was saying some hard stuff and people was dipping from Jesus. And Jesus said, Peter, you dipping? He said, what? where are we going to go? You got the words of life. And we want the words of life. But when asked, why do we believe that gospel? Paul doesn't just want them to know the benefits of the effects, but the reason for the effects. That is election. Say it with me. Election. It's a glorious word. Again, in the context, we have a church that's bragging about people. Yeah, but I go to church where Bob Coughlin ministers, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, but I go to church his son is at, you know what I'm saying? And so that's, but you know, all glory to God. <laughs> oh, I'm in sovereign grace, though. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Are you sovereign grace? That's what's up. I'm Max 29, but that's what's up, you know. <laughs> SBC. <laughs> we better be super careful. We're not boasting. Because Paul says when you massage the gospel in right, it entirely eliminates human boasting. Totally, completely. Paul's reminding him this salvation is designed to eliminate human boasting. The testimony of the church is that we have been brought together by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give up ourselves wholly to him. Why? Divine grace. How that happened, how we came to receive the gospel, to appraise it as the power of God, entirely forms our boasting. How we came to believe forms our boast. And there's one action that is central to our salvation that Paul expounds as the grounds of our boast. And that's election. Verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. A.K.A., nobody was looking for you. <laughs> you, you, there was nothing special about you. Verse 27, but God chose. Do you love that God chose? Because it comes after you say, I'm unimpressive. See, when you think you deserve to be in the spot, you don't care who you know. It's okay, I'm actually supposed to be here. <laughs> But when you don't deserve to be in spot, but you know somebody who can get you in, you get really hype. 
No, no, no. Check the list again. I know. Uh, so when you start with, you're unimpressive. Owning that, knowing that, that you are not fly. You're, you're, we're not. We can't both be a sinner and be dope. That's not possible. You can't both be extremely wicked and pretty good. That's not possible. You're bad. I'm bad. We're bad. We're so bad that God will punish our badness forever in hell. That's bad. Let's talk real quick about what we deserve, saints. Your AC's not working on your car? Frustrating? Okay. What do you deserve? Okay. You deserve God to stop your whole world right now, bring you immediately to judgment, and judge you with total fairness and equity in his law. That you deserve to feel the full force of the unbending justice and righteousness of God falling entirely on you. You deserve, just like all debts you have, to pay for them yourself. Some of us have been in debt before and had debt collectors calling and got the nerve to get frustrated when a debt collector calls, like you don't owe them money. (laughs) We deserve away from God. We deserve forever away from God. We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve the justice of God. And Paul goes through a list of things just in case someone thought they were there because they were exceptions. He says, okay, real quick, look around the room. Nobody here was getting God's attention. In eternity past, he wasn't like, yeah, but wait till you see Anthony, though. I think he's like, he's going to be different. Not at all. (laughs) Didn't happen. Election. Where's election? Under verse 26, those who are called, consider your calling. God chose. Verse 27, God chose. Verse 27 again. Verse 28, God chose. God picked. You didn't pick. God picked. And you have to know that. Because if you don't, you, you're not humble. You're not at all. Because you think you deserve to be right with God. Election shows us none of us do. Nobody's behind deserves to be on those stage talking to God's people about God's word. None of us deserve to go to sleep tonight with peace. Knowing that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. None of us deserve all things to work together for our good. How did that happen? God picked you. All the saints are only saints because God called them to be. Brother Spurgeon said, I believe the doctrine of election because I'm quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. I am sure he chose me before I was born or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. Let <laughs> the church say amen. Amen. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I never could find any reason in myself 
why he should have looked upon me with special love. Paul doesn't just bring up the fact they were called, but that they were called while unimpressive. It's not just like, yeah, I'm in here. No, you, you also have to say, I don't deserve to be in here, and I'm in here. You got to say both of them. Because the second one means more when the first one's true. Nobody looks at the president in the White House like, show you in the White House. When you expect the president to be in the White House, it's when you see me in the White House, like, yo, how'd you get in the White House? <laughs> Remember who you were. None of us was anything special. None of us worthy of attention of kings. None of us were seated in extravagant places. None of us seemed to be anything special. But God chose what is weak on purpose to shame those who think they're strong. God chose what is foolish on purpose to shame those who think that they're wise. God chose us who are far away to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. The gospel isn't just presenting Jesus as a savior, but a certain kind of savior. Moses was a savior. David was a savior. Samson was a savior. But there are no saviors like Jesus. He's the Lord saves. Not simply a savior of Israel from hardship, but the savior of the whole world from their transgressions. He's the lamb of God who takes away the world's sin. He saves people from their sin. But the Bible doesn't just stop there. It's not just that he saves people from their sin, but that he is the only one who could save them from their sin. We couldn't save our, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were alive. That means you didn't get up. You were dead. But he picks dead people and makes them alive because of his mercy, because of his grace, because of his love, not because of anything impressive about a corpse. Have you ever seen a corpse? There's nothing cute about corpses. But God calls corpses to life. Not only could we not save ourselves, but even if we could, we didn't deserve it. One person randomly dies for a good person. Perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. <laughs> but guess what? We're all disqualified at that point. If this is the story of a heroic act for a heroic person, end of story. This is not that movie. Remember a couple chapters before when Paul was talking about the whole good people thing? So when we hear, man, every now and then somebody dies for a good person, he's already taken away all of your hope for that. Because in chapter 3, he said there is none good. And just get, well, no, not one. So if randomly we get the righteous person dying for the good ones, who dares to die for the wicked ones? Totally unprovoked, totally undeserved, and this is his glory. It's not just that he saves us. People be all generic. The Bible's too big for us to be generic. He saved us despite us for his namesake. Because it says something about him. It's one thing for you to catch a bullet for your friend. It's another thing for you to catch a bullet for your enemy. There's a different kind of glory. He says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
We're provided with a reason why salvation is by election. Do you see that in verse 29? Sometimes people make songs and there's space for that. Why did he pick me? I think it's a good thing to ask. But there's at least one answer to that. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. One reason why God picks sinners is so there will be a total boast in the Lordness. With no exceptions. Talking about, yeah, but did you hear me play the keys? What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, but my my illustration was like really helpful, you know. I just feel like it really fit really well. What what are you talking about? In the Corinthian church, y'all over here siding with Cephas and Apollos and Paul? What are you talking about? We were saved by someone else, by his prerogative, and we got all the benefits when we did not deserve it. That sounds silent in the realm of human boasting. There will never be anything impressive about any of us ever and if you think you're impressive just stand next to someone bigger when you stand next to the size of Jesus Christ when you get next to that mountain of mercy you ever been next to a mountain and you just felt tiny you get up to that mountain of mercy when you near the blazing radiance of his holiness, when you've tasted and seen true goodness, when you've read of a perfect law from his mouth, what will you boast about? And that silence of human boasting should mark every church every Sunday. In closing, you were called and chosen, not for any impressive reason the world discerned, not for any commendable reason towards God, but quite simply because he loved you and called you according to his purpose. He set his divine eye on you, not because we got his attention. He called us each by name, not because our name was getting passed around heaven, but because he loves He chose before the foundation of the world that you would be a recipient of lavish and unearned favor. And one of the reasons is so that we would not get a big head about ourselves, but that we would have big hearts full of praise to him. That's why when we come together to boast, the church is supposed to be braggadocious, all kinds of boastful, making loud noise because it's not about us. It's about him. Don't care what you came in here with today. Not that it doesn't matter, but it doesn't matter in comparison to what we're talking about. And this is why in Thessalonians he says, look, you are not destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Encourage each other with these words. 
When we start talking about the deservingness of hell, the darkness of our heart, how we can't bend our heart, we can't change our nature, but that we're loved by God, called by God, kept by God, carried by God, brought by God to be with God forever, it shrinks all our sorrows to size. So we can boast. We can boast. Because we have Christ. And the gospel feeds everyone the same meal in full portion, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You need some righteousness? You got that. You need some wisdom? You got that. Sanctification, anybody? You got that. Redemption? You got that. You have that in Christ. So let the one who boasts, boast in him. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message by Brian Davis given at the 2018 Worship God Conference held in Frisco, Texas. For more information on the conference, please visit worshipgodconference.com.